whole lot of talk. The interviews that rock. Brought to you by Rock Antenna, Germany's number one rock radio station. Here we are. Double egg, double sausage, chips, baked beans, two slices, cup of tea, black cartoffel, frikadellen. Lovely. Hi, Francis. Sorry about missing you. I just overran. I talked too much. No problem. No problem. I'm here every day, so it's... Uh... It's okay. Good, good, good. <laughs> nice to hear you. Thanks for your time. Thank you. And remember, it's a two-way street. Thank you for yours. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, where where uh, do I catch you at the moment? I'm at home in my, we call it my music room. It's it's not as big as my last music room, but it's um, it's a nice room. And I, I tend to sit in here. I do interviews in here. The stereo's in here. There's a TV in here. And I... Oh, I rehearse in here. I've got to come rehearse in a few weeks again to, to rehearse for the winter tour. And I do it in front of the TV to Wacken, you know, the concert at Wacken and one at Hyde Park. And when we got back together earlier this year, that everybody did it at home for a while. And then we went and rehearsed together. I do it in, in here. And how is, uh, is the rehearsing doing? Oh, very well. We're back. I mean, it's pretty much back to back to back to normal. But um, uh, I mean, it could be it could be a little better. So I'm looking forward to the end part of the year because it becomes two on one off, two on one off, two on one. And there's a rhythm to it. There's a rhythm to the to the routine, and it, and the band improves a bit more each night. And the band is improving at the moment. It's quite it's quite exciting like that. That we're in that stage where it's. It, like it was many, many years ago, you will keep playing and the, 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 um, mainly the dynamics in certain songs are getting quite um, exciting. The reason we're talking is, first of all, the new compilation and the tour. Um, 16th of September uh, is the release date and it uh, focuses on the last 20, 20 years, 22 years. But, Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, there are also a few classic tracks and rare songs. Uh, can you explain the intention behind this decision to put those? Well, it, it's quite simple. The record company asked Max Vaccaro, who runs Adele Music, came to the manager and said, look, we want to do a compilation of sorts. And whilst generally I'm not really sure about those from the, from the, other, from the old catalogue, they keep coming out. But from the catalogue from the last 20 years or so, I'm pretty much sure that quite a few songs may have got overlooked or there are periods in our career and other bands' careers where you you seem to have a, a peak and people are like, oh, yeah, I love them. And then you have a trough where people are going, oh, no, no, I don't like them. And so I think there are periods, it happens mainly with older bands, that songs get overlooked or don't get as much attention as they should have got. And I think some of these songs released for, for arguments, say in the 80s or in the 70s, would have been uh, very, some of them very big hits or bigger hits than they were or more or better received than they were. That's not to say they weren't received well. It's just that because of the way everything is these days, yeah, it's so much faster and people only download one track and so on. So I thought that... Um, To get a, for people to get a second view, and and the album itself, I will probably they they usually send them to me, but I think I'm going to. I like the running order. I like the way it plays, and I think that's that's good because remember, I come from a generation that bought an album, and bought the album and listened to the album, you know, rather than just so I only want the one track. I bought the albums, and I think as much as it's the modern way these days. 
there is something we miss or as 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 punters as an audience myself included when we don't take the entire album in i think there was a position when we first went to cd that people put too many tracks on an album you know 16 or 18 which is kind of silly i think 20 21 minutes 22 minutes per side so 40 minutes of music and um there is something in that too that, that there's an enjoyable thing of listening and you got to know certain tracks that in, initially you might not have liked. So I think that it's missing these days. Not that we can go back, but it, it, it's definitely missing. So when people, I think the idea for Adele is to sell CDs and, and that people will play the entire, entire record. So, so I'm, I'm quite pleased with it, yeah. Uh, does it mean uh, that you don't have Spotify or anything for you personally at home? No, I don't, no. Okay, okay. I don't understand Spotify, well, I do understand Spotify, but the record companies own that as well. So the, it's just very strange that you can only get about a quarter of a penny for a download or a stream, and that, that in any other uh, walk of life, that would be um, extortion, I think. Uh, but and as much as we complain and everybody complains, uh, our governments and our other governments say, well, they'll look into it. But it's far worse. When we first signed a contract in 1966 for a record contract with us, the Kinks, the Donovan, Petula Clark, the Beatles, they were before us, and the Stones. They were all, we were all at half a percent, but that is still better than it is today. And so young people today are really getting. But if I was a record company, I would see it as good business. So it's very difficult. Yeah, that's right. Um, I checked the track list for the compilation and the thing is, the remarkable thing is that you took uh, at least one song from each album in the last 22 years. Um, does it mean you, you say every, every album is on the same quality level or do you still have favorites among those uh, last? That's a good question. Um, I think... Um, I don't think they can be all as good, but then again, it's a matter of taste. I was doing an interview some years ago when I was in Los Angeles. We'd be coming to Holland. I was doing an interview with a guy in Holland and we we're talking about music. And he said, yes, I'm like you, Francis. I only like good music. I thought, I didn't say I only like good music. I like what I like. So I may say some of these albums are better than others, but somebody else like yourself or whomever may say, well, no, I like that one better. I think he's wrong. So therefore, I'm wrong because in that that man's taste, I'm wrong. Um, I just think it was again good business from the record company's point of view to take what they figure are the better tracks from each album, rather than you know it wants to spread the 20 years rather than just say, well, hang on a minute, you took it all from two two albums, which isn't spreading the 20 years. But it's so far, as I said, I think it's turned out. I was surprised they took stuff from um, from Bulla Bulla Quo, the, uh, the soundtrack album, because I thought lots of people were disappointed with that, whereas the band weren't. It was the one time that we could write stuff or make a record that didn't have to be strictly status quo. It just it was to do with the album, with the movie, therefore from the script to the movie, and so I thought it kind of allowed us a little bit of um, leeway to do stuff. Therefore, I thought that album was very, very good. But again, I was—I wrote some of the stuff on it and recorded the thing. So, 
Of course I would think it was good, Mike. <laughs> it's very difficult. It's like we say, we, my wife is beautiful. Well, you would think so. As well. I hope you did that when you married her or my partner is it's beautiful. Yeah. I find it very... St- when I listen to radio and they say, for my be- I'd like a request for my beautiful, a beautiful wife, as though he's got one that isn't beautiful, so he's got two. We have to justify and say, my beautiful wife. So we justify our music, say, our, our good tracks, our favourite albums. No, they're just our albums. Some of us are more let down in certain tracks than we are with others. It's that thing with the humans, I suppose, Yeah, with yin and yang, with the relativity. One man's meat is another man's poison. <laughs> we can't change that. Yeah. Um, the promotion text says that uh, at the beginning of the 21st century there was a huge pressure on you as a band. Why Why was this so? Um, well, because you moved into another decade. Each time we've moved into a new, new decade, it becomes a pressure, and particularly for older bands. I mean, I've, I've often watched the Stones because they formed, uh, they had hits, I think, 62, 63, when we were forming. And I remember walking home from rehearsals and they were playing at this very small club and there were very few people there. So I always feel like it's like he's my uncle, Uncle Mick and Uncle Keith. And I watched their career kind of. And I noticed when they did start me up, I thought, yeah, it was okay. And I thought, well, I like it. But I just was aware that if they'd released Start Me Up in the 60s or early 70s, it would have been, it would have received more wow from everybody, whereas everybody said, well, you've heard loads of Stones tracks. It, sounds, it now is a favourite track. So that's what I think with this, with our album, is that the same thing that even I've heard some of them go and think, oh, this is better than I thought. Or retrospectively, you think, yeah, actually, yeah, that's good. And that's quite pleasant because um, one album we made called Riffs, I really didn't want to make that album. And I kind of enjoyed doing the tracks, but as soon as the track was finished, I refused, kind of refused to listen to it because being part of it, making it was one thing, listening to it was another, and no joy in listening. And I heard a few weeks ago um, a version of Born to Be Wild that we did, and I, I didn't recognize us for a while. I kept saying that um, Richie Malone had sent it, he went on a trip home and put the soundtrack to his trip going through the airport, going through stations. And my PA, our, our PA, played it to me. I said, this is good, who's this? And I said, I know, this is good. And I said, he sounds like he's trying to... Be- oh, it is me. <laughs> and that was the first time I think I've ever heard something and thought it sounds like me, and it actually was. I would normally recognise instantly. But I didn't remember at that stage recording Born to be Wild or, or that it was anywhere near that good. Oh, that good as I thought. I mean, other people may listen to say it's shit. That's the thing we do all the time. So it, moving into another decade is always a bit... Oh, and moving into a new millennium, and we, we, we came from the previous century, which is why there was an album famous in the last century. It was kind of funny-ish. But, but that was, it's a very strange thing when we moved from 68 into the 70s, 70s, it was unheard of to, you know, we kind of reinvented ourselves. That's not what they called it then, but they do now. And then again through the late 70s, in the early 80s, and you can hear in the early 80s where we were following current sounds, we dressed 
pretty much as the people were in the early 80s. You can't help it. And I've heard, as I said, going back to Uncle Mick and Uncle Keith, they seem to do the same thing. They think, well, in the last 15 to 20 years, maybe they haven't. I don't know. But I'm aware that uh, bands, as they become successful, and the more successful, the more they kind of oh, feel suddenly feel in, uh, wrong. You're moving a new decade, and it's all changing around you. And, of course, any new generation wants to poo-poo the old one. And so you do get in a position quite often where they're kind of sent off. I, I was with Rick once. We were making rocking all over the world, I think. And they were at the Marquee Studio. Was, uh, there's a door to the Marquee Studio, which was beside the back door to the Marquee Club. And there was a punk band in there. I can't remember which one. And we walked in the back door and stood there for a few minutes. And some guy turned around. He was about 17. And I was 27 and Rick was 28. And the guy turned around and said, fuck off, Rossi, you boring old fart. So he thought I was old at 27. Right, well, then 10 years later, that guy must have thought, fuck, I'm old. (laughs) So, you know, you become very much aware that the new generation, each time, each new young generation, we're the young ones, we're the new ones. And people go, yeah, yeah, we remember being... I remember in 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 a Robbie Williams song, I thought... We're the generation that has got to be heard. Every generation has said that. And another bit of another generation come along and say, no, no, we're the ones we know best. You, that young girl that says, we all fucked it up for her. What's her name? Ingrid Tringren. Tringren. What's her name? Um, Ingrid Johansson. See, trust you said it better than me. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But she's angry that we fucked it all up. Yeah. Well, no, we had to, I had to live post-war. I didn't go want to go to fucking war. No. <laughs> or, so, you know, the idea that each generation says something. Sorry, talk too much, don't I? No, no, absolutely not. Um, but uh, speaking of young generations and uh, current sounds, uh, uh, there was one uh, song with Scooter, and it's not on the compilation. Thank God for that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you What do you think? Uh, well, again, it's, it, it's again that's like the band trying to stay alive. That you things come along that you do, and sometimes they prove to be fucking excellent moves, and sometimes they don't. I mean, we didn't know uh, going on first that Live Aid was going to be so good for us. We just would get on, get off, because my generation didn't understand that that gig was going to be that big, and it was. We did a movie, and we thought, a movie? Oh, maybe we shouldn't have done that. There were various things, and maybe we shouldn't have done that record, but they asked us. We said, well, yeah, and of course everyone advising us, record company managers and agents say, it's good, it's good, it's a younger generation, it's good for you, it's good for you, it's good, it's not so good for you, it's not not so good for you. So who knows, I don't know. And again, some people will say, I love that record, other people will say, it's disgusting, how could they do that? And that could be Quo fans and it could be their fans saying, how could they do anything with status quo? We, we are, you know, it, it is a very strange world. And even stranger, the rock and roll or the music world. But it also shows that you are open-minded to whatever. Maybe, or uh, mercenary, or greedy, or money-grabbing. <laughs> or... No. <laughs> I, I always find that for years people have said in interviews, you're the hardest working band there, there is. No one else says, fuck, says, fuck me, you're greedy. Hmm. Well, you could look at it, that's again the relativity thing going on. They're hard-working, that group, aren't they? 
don't they have enough money, can't they stop? <laughs> and some people would take that view. So, but, so I find all of it very, very funny. Yeah. Until I get on stage and I think, yes. <laughs> yeah, th those uh, re-recordings, why, why was this decision to, to uh, re-record? I made that decision. We were about to do, which we are in October, a, gig, a TV in, in England. And there's a TV coming up in September in Deutschland. And they invariably ask for rocking all over the world. When sometimes you think, oh, can't we do something new? That you, but you have to understand, one has to understand, I mean, I have to understand that they don't want new. Some fans want new. But when you do it in an, in an audience where most of the people are... Um, lowest common denominator. I don't mean that as a negative, but they are just, they know the, the very top tunes. They aren't the dedicated fan who knows every fucking track. And um, so we accepted to do the TV and I thought, well, I would, I'd like to do at least one of the others, perhaps Paper Plane or, or Caroline or, and then listening to the records and thinking, no. And what happens when we go to do the TVs is you suddenly, they put the record on And you're miming to the record. Oh, shit. Whereas if you play the record on the radio, it sounds fine. If you have to try and mime to it, when you do it, you've been doing it on stage for so long, it's a little faster. So I decided to remake them. Then I realized that the way we used to do all of our records is there were two rhythm guitars. Rick and me played rhythm all the way through the song and then double-tracked it all the way through the song. We didn't stop for the solo. I didn't play the solo then. And on Rockin' All Over the World, Rick didn't stop and play the solo. And the little jink, jink chops that Rick did, he didn't stop and play those. We played all the way through. Also, the very early uh, records, and most of Mutton's past, well, I mean, maybe Blue for You, maybe after that. Rick used to use um, uh, Gibsons, with, uh, which, so that's a humbucking pickup, which has a different sound to the single coil pickup of the telecasters. When you play, he plays the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, and I play ba da 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 something happens with the harmonic distortion of a humbucker against a single coil. When we do it two telecasters, it isn't quite as good. So whilst recording them, I made Richie play a humbucking guitar, and we played rhythm all the way through. The drums were taken from live shows from early this year, so that gave them the some of the energy, I think, and they... They sound alive and awake to me. I hope that the uh, fans quite like them. I don't expect them to say that they're better than... Because some people will find we've ruined the original version when, in fact, we haven't touched the original version. We've just done another version. And some people won't wish to know that. But doing them for TV is what they were done for. Played them to manager, he loved them. Then played them to Max Vaccaro, he loved them. And then the album was being done, so... They'd like to put them on. I said, fine, I think it's quite a good idea. We have yet to find out what the fans think. I like them uh, too. Thank you. That's <laughs> One, good? Yeah, <laughs> that's, uh, that's not enough, but... Uh, no, but, but it's, it's, it's indicative, <laughs> put it that way. Yeah. So I would like to switch to the tour. Mm, so would I. Yeah, does this compilation uh, affect the, the tour set list? Yes, it will do. We will uh, very slightly because I don't, you know, the idea of changing the set, the set is the set. 
that some of them are going to be tried, and I know the ones I'm going to try, and the medley's going to change a little bit, but that's the plan. But what people never seem to understand is that we get into rehearsals, and if it doesn't fucking work, I'm not going to change it and then make the, a medley that's not as good as the previous one. And the new ones, that the couple say new ones, tracks from the album that I want to try, we will do. The other thing is that it looks like it'll end up at an hour and 40. Our optimum is about 75 minutes when it really is, wow, energetic and good. But, so I said to Andrew and John that if it looks like when we've been out that it feels too long. You know, I said to you about a CD with 16 tracks. You may be a biggest fan, but there's a point where you go, there just is, and I don't know why. And um, plus with a CD... Track 14 is definitely not going to be as good as track one. When you had vinyl, you, 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 when picking your seat, you, you found the track to open side one, the track to close side one, the track to open side two, and the track to so close side two. Then you filled in the middle. That's how important they were. So again, that works with the set. If I find when it's been out there, it's not working, you keep saying, no, it must work, it must work. Sometimes it won't, but the ideas we have, I'm pretty confident, will work. If they are, if they get a little too long, that might be the only thing. So I might have to take out some of the older ones, but I'd, um, I'm never comfortable taking out the ones that work. I've got, I've got, got a couple in mind already to take out, but I'm a bit reluctant. Are there any gigs in Germany you're looking forward more than to... Any other? Because... Nope. No? No? <laughs> All the same. Uh, well, that would be dangerous, you see. It would be dangerous for me to get up there and you get there and... Here we go. Uh, uh, and you feel frustrated yeah, yeah, up there yeah, because yeah. you're trying to do something that... And the whole thing with music and live music, you have to let it be somewhat. And... Um, But I'm, we're very much looking forward to the shows. We all got the shows we've got with Manfred. We've been talking about them for a few years. And we've done probably two tours before in Deutschland. And it's always a very good ticket. It does good business from the promoter's point of view and the band's point of view. But you find that loads of people stand and watch Manfred and then they stand and watch us. Generally, when you do a kind of a gig like that, you have a load of people watch Manfred and they walk away and then Crow fans come in. That's kind of divisive and not necessarily good. It's not good when those people have bought a ticket to see two acts. And uh, Manfred's band and I, us get on very, very well. So we've been looking forward to this tour for quite some time. So I'm, I've got to be careful not to look forward too much because it puts an, an expectation in my mind. And when expect, it's so hard to live up to expectations. That's right. But the Manfred Men's tour is the Christmas tour. Well, you call it what you like. We, yeah. we, will, be <laughs> we will be in Deutschland and we were in, we were in Ulm the other day, parked up for two days. And um, everybody was saying, can't wait to get back here and for the Christmas market. And the glue vine, I want to go around the market. And, have the, and there's, a, there's a, an atmosphere. And usually, because we've done it so many years, there's a, uh, you're coming to the end of the tour, the, the light is getting less each day. It's almost like going into um, hibernation going to go home for Christmas, going to rest for a while. And we're in Deutschland. I want to go to some Elint shirts. I'm going to go to Kaufhof and Peak and Kloppenberg. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew and I go there to buy the shirts and stuff. So we very much love Deutschland. But uh, will you play maybe one or two Christmas songs as well? Or just uh, Santa Claus costumes on stage? 
<laughs> no chance at all. No chance. Okay. <laughs> Um, next, next year you're going on uh, with an acoustic tour, but not in Germany. Well, Klaus Furnish, the um, promoter there, asked me about it a few years ago, about doing a talk tour there, and I wasn't sure. So um, I will talk to Klaus Furnish this year and see if he wishes to do it with me. I have to take that out first and see how it is, because we, we came off the talking tour. On the talking tour, I played a bit of acoustic and sang two or three songs. And I was aware that people liked the idea and the promoter in that over there said, let's do this one. And so I've got to take that out and find out how that works because it's called tunes and chat and more tunes and less chat. But he likes to talk and I like to engage people and get something in the audience. But I think it's going to be very good. I think it's going to be very good. And so then I would love to take it to Deutschland because... I don't have to worry so much about the speech and, and, being, and being English in London. And when Klaus Bernisch spoke to me, um, this was in 2018 or 19, he wanted to talk to her. And I said, well, I'm not sure. He, as long as you slow down a little when you speak. I thought, fuck, that's not going to work. I, <clears throat> I can't see me slowing down so well. But... The idea of bringing in uh, an acoustic song and singing the acoustic tunes in the Deutschland, the tunes will speak. I won't need to speak too much. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one last question to, uh, concerning uh, live music. You did a uh, few gigs in the in the past since uh, since the pandemic has uh, kind of ended. Did you did you realize a difference between now and uh, before? Yes. Yes. Okay. And I don't know what it is, really. I don't know if it's... Well, since 2019, we were going to have a break until 2020, early 2020. Then came the pandemic. So we have Brexit. Fuck. Mistake. Pandemic, bigger mistake. And now we had the war in Ukraine. And all these things are affecting everything. They're affecting... The, the loads of people in the music business are not there anymore. Crew people, bus drivers, truck drivers, relief drivers... Uh, PA companies and lighting companies, uh, bus companies, truck companies. So many people are gone and probably won't come back. There are still seem to be people who are very much nervous about being in a crowd, whether we were sold a lie that um, or frightened people because of uh, this will kill you. That usually works, you see, and that usually frightens people. And people are now frightened being near each other. And so I've definitely noticed a certain something in gigs. And I think everybody's noticed that business seems to be down a little. But it varies with different people. I don't understand why. I think the Stones have done quite well in a few gigs. And uh, Coldplay in this country have done well. I think Ramstein have done well. Certain acts seem to do okay. Maybe they're the special ones that people really, really need to see. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but... To answer your question, yes, I feel a difference. It's not as it was for many reasons, which is kind of sad. And there's also a mad Russian on the loose. I don't know if anybody's noticed. There's a crazy Russian man somewhere doing bad things. I just think it's very strange that in the 21st century, even remember, I was born in 1949, so it's four years after the war. But I still know much about it and the views that one sees of it, and the documentaries that one sees. So to be in the 21st century and still think that right now, as I'm talking to you, somebody is probably in a tank bombing yeah. somewhere in the fucking Ukraine. 
that seems so weird to me. Purely from that, it's the 21st century, yeah. sure. You don't do that anymore. No. But that Russian man does. It's freaking me out somewhere. Yeah. And it's fucking yeah. with everybody's money. And we can't yeah. do anything against it. No, yeah. no, because he realizes the world we're in. He's only got to go, nuclear, we go, fuck. Yeah, yeah. So he can become a, a dictator of the world somewhat. Mm. I don't understand. You mustn't write this shit down. I don't understand that. His own people haven't said, terminate this man, terminate this man, take, take him away, take him away. Most of, I mean, people are leaving Russia like, like crazy. That's another thing, that's quite encouraging, but it means what's left behind in Russia is the people who believe in, uh, believe in Putin. So, but people don't want to talk about that. It's sad enough as it is happening and we can't do anything. Yeah, the one thing we can do is uh, to, uh, yeah, be positive, go to a live concert of Status Quo. Well, I think that's a damn fine idea. <laughs> Francis, I'm uh, I'm finished. Thanks for your time. Thank you, sir. Uh, have uh, have a nice tour. Have a good uh, rehearsing. I'll be in Deutsch. I'll be in Deutschland at Christmas. I don't really care. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Whole lot of talk. The interviews that rock. Subscribe to our channel for more rocking podcasts. <laughs>